It's all about you. We just sang that. I'm sure many of you know the story of that song. It's a fascinating story. If you don't, it's worth looking up. Heart of Worship. Um, Short version is, Matt Redmond, who wrote it, was a worship leader in uh, England. And as the church was doing the church stuff, they got so caught up in a few things that they missed the point. Have you ever missed the point? They missed the point. And so what they did, uh, they decided for a while, they banned the band. They had no music in worship. It wasn't a very long time, but it was a while. And this was one of the songs he wrote during that time when there was no music in their worship services, an expression of what is the main thing. You don't want to miss the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing we just sang is Jesus. It's all about him. And if you've been here for the last few weeks, you know we've tried to look at some of the things Jesus said about himself. A lot has been said. A lot is written about Jesus. A lot of opinions exist out there. But in Scripture, particularly in the Gospel of John, John's account of his life, one of those who traveled with Jesus during his ministry and heard firsthand, was close enough to Jesus that Jesus from the cross said to him, take care of my mom. That's a really loose paraphrase. But basically, Jesus entrusted Mary to John. That's the the bond that they had. And some people make the point that even in the Gospel, the book of John about Jesus' life, John's name for himself is the Beloved. He's that close to Jesus. And he writes in recording his life, seven times in his, his Gospel, his record of the life of Jesus, he records these I am statements of Jesus, where Jesus says, this is who I am. And most of them are, are analogies. They're, they're images that help us connect to the person of Jesus. And we've looked at three of them so far. We've, we've looked at last week where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. We're reminded that we need a light because left to ourselves, we're in darkness. We just kind of wander around. We don't get it right. And we looked a week before that where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd because we're like sheep. We have all gone astray doing our own thing. And the first week we looked at Jesus' comment that he is the resurrection and the life. And we said that week that the reason we need Jesus to be the resurrection and the life is because we are dead in our sins and we need life given to us. There's nothing about us that's any other way. And those are very important things. Today I want to look at a very uh, well-known passage as well. Most of these are ones that we've, we've maybe heard before. It's in John chapter 15. and John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says this. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine, Jesus says. In John 15, verse 5. Interesting context for that. What we need to remember, I don't know if you were here for the first week, but if you weren't, let me just remind you. As scholars look at the Gospel of John, the account of Jesus' life in John's Gospel, they think that if you go through it, it covers probably only about 21 or 22 days in the life of Jesus. John is very specific and focused on what he talks about. And sometimes when he focuses in on a day or an event, Particularly in this case, it might go on for a while. And as we're reading the Gospel of John, if you were to read it, you'd get to chapter 13. And you'd find out in John chapter 13 begins the account of what we call the Last Supper. Where Jesus 
celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples for the last time before he was crucified. And so that's what begins in John 13. And then John 13, 14, 15, and so on, are, are basically what we might call the dinner conversations that happened at that supper. We get this extended look at these hours in the lives of Jesus with his disciples, which is really fascinating when you read it that way. You know, so often we, we pick out this section or that section or this this kind of, well, I'm sorry, it's the only word that comes here, this pericope or this paragraph. That's the word. I knew it was a P word. This paragraph of, of the life of Jesus, and we kind of know that. But but if you start at John 13 and kind of go through until John 18, and when you get to his, his trial and moving toward the crucifixion, all of that is like just a few hours that happened in there. And right in the middle of that, John 15, he's saying this. And, he's, it, and when we think about it in the context of what's going on, I hope maybe we sense the weight of what he's saying. Could you imagine if you knew that today, after church, you were going to go out to lunch or have somebody over to your house for lunch, and you knew that was the last meal you would eat with them? You knew it. I mean, Jesus knew it because he's, well, Jesus. He kind of knew this was it. If you knew for certain this was the last time you'd ever have a meal with them, would that change the dynamic in, in your mind? Would there be a certain seriousness about it? And Jesus tried to warn his disciples more than once. Hey, listen, I, I, things are happening. I, I'm, I'm headed toward Jerusalem. I'm going there to die. Whether they realize the full import at the time or not, I'm not sure. But in hindsight, they have to think those words that he spoke to us have such weight to him. And in the middle of that very important time over this extended dinner, because if you've ever been to a Passover Seder, you know it, it lasts several hours. It's a very programmatic thing that happens. In that context, Jesus would say to them, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Fascinating moment of Scripture. Now, why would he say that? Well, I want to have a vision. Can I use a visual aid today? Oh, good. I, I didn't know what to do if he said no. I kind of... Assumed you'd say yes. So I put it on. The, I'll put it on the stage platform. I, I brought a plant. Isn't that exciting? Aren't you glad? Um, just like I do before any time I mention medical things, and I know we have medical professionals in the house. If I mess it up, if you're a plant person, if I mess it up. I'm sorry. Play along. No. This is a, a banana pepper plant. I would love to tell you that I, I like banana peppers, and I, I had one, and I kept a seed, and I put it in a pot and nurtured it and nurtured it. Uh, really what I thought was this morning, I'm like, ooh, that'd be a good illustration. So I got this at Kmart about an hour and a half ago. It's like there when the doors open, hoping I'd find something, and this is what I found. There's, there's actually already peppers on it. I'm very excited. I'm hoping that they'll actually grow and become peppers I can eat. Wouldn't that be exciting? Yeah, it would be. Okay, good. I can tell. So so here it is, a plant. Now, we know. I shouldn't say we know. We think. I hope. I'm trying my best to describe what happens when you have a, a plant like this, and it's in soil, and it's obviously been taken care of. It's nice and green. It looks healthy. I, I see 
you know, one, two, I, I see a bunch of buds on it, and this, I don't, you probably can't see in there, but that pepper's probably about an inch and a half long already. I mean, somebody put a lot of care into this, and, and they knew what it needed to grow. This is a fruitful plant. I, I can tell already there's probably a half a dozen or more places that are going to become peppers on this plant. It's going to bear, wait, what is our word? Fruit. Maybe even much fruit. And, and Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you remain in me like this plant with all the proper nourishment and such, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Actually, in, in, in chapter 15, verse 1, he says something uh, that, that's also along the same lines. In verse 1, he says this, I am the true vine. A little bit later, verse 5, he, he fleshes it out. But in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, which makes me think there must be false vines. If Jesus has to make the point, I'm the true vine, the implication is there are other things you could connect yourself to that are false. Now, I know in the context of Israel, one of the images for Israel itself is the vine. In fact, there, there is ornamentation on parts of, of the temple that had a, a vine that showed it was sort of the vine. The idea being that Israel was God's vine to bring fruitfulness to the world. And Jesus, being a Jew, knew that. And Jesus, being the Son of God, understood that God's program was about to shift from this uh, structure around the temple to a person, to a relationship with God. And so he's saying to everybody there, I am the true vine, inviting them to move their allegiance from the system of sacrifices and all to him. We'll come back to that a little bit later. But I also think, when I, when I put it in a modern context, even though we don't have the temple and we don't understand and have that sort of feature in our, our world, there are times when we might say we can attach our lives to false vines. Hold on. I know the men's room is back there, but that's not what I want to say. Just saying. Some of you might have thought, uh-oh. No, I'm good. This used to be attached to the vine. The true vine, the one that's in the soil, the one that's watered, the one that's fertilized, the one that obviously is producing a healthy plant. This is like you and me. When we have our lives attached to the vine. But, but we can attach our lives to a false vine. What would happen? This looks like a healthy plant beautiful. I mean, look at all the, and look at the variety that's in this one urn. I kind of like that. Isn't that better? That's better than that. Look, that's just kind of, this different shades and and, and blooms. I'd rather be attached to this vine. Wouldn't you? Why not? It's, it's a little dead. This is a fake plant, if you didn't know. It's a false plant. It's not real. And here's what we do. Like I just clipped off something from the true vine and attached it to a false vine. I'm going to leave it there see what happens. Check next week. We do that in our lives. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's a little earlier, previous chapter, in fact. Um, 
and, and, and we think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue something else. And we, we might attach our lives to all sorts of false vines. Some people think that, that uh, well, if I just pursue my career, pursue financial success, if I just get one more promotion, that, that next step up the business ladder, then, oh, that is, that's, that's fruitful. I'll have, I'll have more money in the bank. I can provide for my family better. I can enjoy, uh, you know, I always wanted that new boat. I live in the Keys after all. So if I make that step up the, the, the ladder, man, that would be fruitfulness. And they attach their lives to what's a false vine. What happens in that vine? Is that life and fruit? No, it it's, might be some gain, but, but it's not anything that's lasting. Other people pursue maybe uh, pleasure or entertainment. Just, just want, want to have things that they're doing that, that keep them occupied, that keep them entertained in a way that, that passes the time. Or, or, or maybe it's, oh, if I can just pursue this relationship. I, I'm going to throw everything I've got into this relationship outside of a lot of other things, and, and I'm going to ignore maybe the spiritual side for this. Maybe even that person doesn't hold the same values I do, and so I'm going to ignore the spiritual side of my life for that. We attach our, our, ourselves to this false vine, just like that little sprig is going to wither away because it's not getting any nourishment. It's not ever in that place going to produce a pepper I can eat. Never. We do the same thing with our lives, and we convince ourselves, if I just go there, if I just find that other thing, there'll be something there, that status, that 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 financial gain, whatever it is that, that that's another step up. That's not fruitfulness. See, Jesus says if you want to produce fruit, John 15, verse 5, how do you do it? If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, what can you do? Nothing. Apart from me. Okay, this is in my way. I'm going to put it on the floor now. Is that okay? I like, I like to go back and forth, and this is kind of in my spot. Sound like Sheldon now, don't I? So you watch the Big Bang Theory, do you? Busted. No. <laughs> but but there it is. Uh, John fifteen five. I'm the true. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Isn't that what we would want in our lives? What do we want? Much fruit. What is the fruit? Well, that that might be a question you're asking. What does that mean? Much fruit. If it's not just a better job or more money or, or, or higher social status or whatever, what might be the picture of fruit in our lives? Well, one place that we often go in this context is Galatians chapter 5, and it says very specifically in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and it lists these qualities, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit the product in your life of being connected to the vine, Jesus says, I am the true vine, I am the vine, you are the branches. A branch connected to the true vine is that these character qualities begin to be produced in your life. And that should be something that, if I'm looking at that list, those are things I want. I want to be a person who exhibits love. That's a good thing, yes. I want to be a person that has joy. 
doesn't mean everything's always perfect and I'm always happy. It means I understand even in the midst of the difficulties of life that the most important things are the bedrock foundation of my life. I have security, and that's a source of joy. Right? Peace, patience, all of those things are, are good things that we want in our lives. And, and it tells us those things are the result. They are the fruit of the Spirit. And Jesus says, how do you have fruit in your life? How do you have much fruit in your life? You stay connected to the vine. How do we stay connected to the vine? Great question. For Israel, in the context with which he spoke it, remember I said a few minutes ago that, that Israel, the imagery of Israel is often the vine. For them, what they thought and what they had practiced for all this time was following the rules. They decided to follow the rules. That was a good thing. If you wanted to be a good Jewish follower, a good Jewish person, you followed the rules. You obeyed the commandments. That was what they thought was connecting them to the vine, to God. Follow the rules. And, and we do the same thing. By the way, if I were to say, and this happens a lot in church world, this, this passage becomes this sermon. You should be more loving. Fruit of the Spirit is love. You should be more loving. You should be more joyful. You don't look very joyful this morning. No, really, you don't. It's true. It's like, you know. Okay. You should be more patient. Oh, that's my favorite. Anybody want more patience? Have you tried to be more patient? Here's, here's what people say. If you ask for I have some people actually don't pray for patience because God will put you in situations that will try your patience. As if patience is a quality we just need to try hard to build in our life. We need the try hard award so we can have patience, right? That's what we need. No, that's not what that says. That's the old way. That's the, the Israel vine. You just try hard. You follow these rules and there's progress and product. No, this says stay connected to the vine and the fruit will happen. How do you become more patient? Stay connected to the vine. How do you become more loving? You stay connected to the vine. How do you become more peaceful? You stay connected to the vine. If you're connected to a false vine that's never going to build fruit, guess what you're not going to be more of? All that stuff. You're going to be less loving and less joyful and less peaceful and less patient. Amen, right? Where can I get me some of that? No. Wait a minute. I want to be more joyful. And it's not something I can do. Patience, as I understand what this says, putting these two passages together, the fruit of the Spirit of God in my life is not manufactured by my effort. It is a product of staying connected to the vine. These peppers that are growing on here didn't say one morning, I want to be a pepper, I really want to be a pepper. Does that help? Does that help? I mean, do you walk through your garden and hear those little voices? No. All this thing did was grow, and that branch, that, that little sprout or sprig or whatever you want to call it that popped out that has a pepper on it, it didn't try real hard. It just happened. Because the conditions were right, that it was connected to the vine, and the vine is connected to the nourishment that it needs, and the fruit happens. It's a great phrase. Write that down. Fruit happens. It just happens. And that's the same thing in your spiritual life. Fruit 
happens. There's a 100% chance of fruit if you stay connected to the vine. There's a 100% chance of fruit for this vine here, this limb here with the pepper on it. There's a 0% chance of fruit with that one. Why? Because it's not connected to the vine. No matter how much it wants to be a pepper, no matter how hard it tries to be a pepper, no matter how much the xylem and phloem, see, I remembered that from biology, so I've been studying with Carolina, so it's, it's like searching for water in that fake plant, no matter how much it sucks through the air, it's not going to last because it's disconnected from the vine. So, so what does it say? Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. So when you're connected to the vine, you bear much fruit. When you're disconnected from the vine, you know what you bear? Nothing. In fact, I would say it this way. Anybody is capable of anything when they're disconnected from the vine. So what do you mean by that? Well, you're in church today. On some level, I think you want to kind of learn about God, honor God, do the things that God wants. And maybe even some of you say, as you look around at the world around us and some of the stuff that happens around us, we might think, I would never fill in the blank. I would never do that. Oh, did you hear about this couple that's, that's breaking up because one of them had a trailer? I can't even, I would never let that happen. Oh, did you hear about this situation with the, with the parents and the kids and all that's going on? I would never neglect my family like it looks like that is happening. Did you hear about that person who's gotten addicted to this substance? Or that's, I can't even, I would never let that happen. Here's what I tell you. Anybody, you, me, anybody is capable of anything when we're disconnected from the vine. Why? Because we're disconnected from the vine. We've cut ourselves off from the source of life and nourishment that we need to grow and to be fruitful. And so if we're disconnected from the vine, these things begin to fade away. Uh, love. Is love important in a marriage? Anyone? That's a tough question. Do we agree? Now, now I'm not talking about love. No, that's, that's good. I'm talking about I love you, but you're on my last nerve. I love you too, honey. You know, just like that. Love being that attitude, that commitment, that action that betrays the feeling sometimes. That's what I'm talking about. That doesn't come naturally. What, what's the, 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 did you know the seven-year itch has now become the three-year itch? Isn't that amazing? Seven years used to be kind of the, nope, three years. <laughs> Everything's faster today, I guess. You know, the Internet's faster. Marriages fall apart faster. I don't know how it works. Anyway, that's because there's this disconnect. In it. And if you need love, do you, do you want patience with your spouse? Do you want your spouse to be patient with you? In that relation, yes. If you disconnect from the vine, guess what goes away? Well, you've just lost love and patience. What's next? Go through the list. How about the last one? I've disconnected from the vine. What's the last of that list? Self-control. So that thing that I said I would never do because I was in control, now I've disconnected myself from the vine. I'm connected to this false vine. Maybe it's pursuing my job or pursuing this or pursuing pleasure or whatever it is. I'm disconnected to this false vine. So self-control is slowly wilting away. And so when the opportunity presents itself, that person, that substance, that whatever, guess what? The fruit of the Spirit that would connect it to the vine, keep me away from that, is no longer there. So guess where I'm finding myself? 
doing the thing I might have sworn I'd never do. All because somewhere along the way, I got disconnected from the vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do So if that is the truth, if that is so important, how do we stay connected to the vine? Well, there's probably a lot of things you're thinking. You might expect me to say, you should read your Bible. Dang it. Right? That's what preachers say. Should you read your Bible? Sure, it's a good thing. Does it help you stay connected to the vine? Absolutely. You should pray. Okay. Yeah, I would say that too. Prayer is good. You should Get together with other believers to study the Bible. Call it Sunday school, call it small group, call it Thursday Bible study, call it coffee with a friend, call it whatever you want. Getting together with others to find encouragement, to share your burdens, to pray for one another, to learn from one another. Should you do that? Can that help you stay connected to the vine? Oh yeah, I'm good with that. How about something as simple as looking around at the beauty of creation? Romans, we've been studying that on Wednesday night. Romans talks about that God has left us without excuse because the Creator has put His fingerprints everywhere. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. We see all around us. Can you be connected to the majesty and wonder and grandeur of God in the beauty of nature? Absolutely. All of those are good, but I want to point out something that I think maybe Jesus might encourage us to do. It's found in John 15, verse 10. John 15, verse 10 says this, If you obey my commands... You will remain in my love. You want to stay connected to the vine? You want to remain in me? As Jesus said in John 15, 5, what's one way? Obey my commands. You know who Francis Chan is? Preacher out of San Francisco. I love how he talks about this. He talks about this verse. It's great. He uses the example of when he tells uh, one of his children to clean their room. Honey, go clean your room. Any parents ever told their kid to clean their room? Anyone at all? Okay, so you're familiar with the concept of a clean room. Okay, good. Well, so he tells his child, go clean your room. A few minutes later, comes out of the room and says, honey, did you clean your room? Well, Dad, I want you to know, I memorized that you told me to clean my room. I've got it memorized. And Dad said unto me, clean thy room. I got it memorized, Dad. Yeah, yeah honey, but did you clean your room? Well, well Dad, you need to understand... I'm going to go out and get a tattoo on my arm in the Greek. So whenever I look at my arm, I can see your original words that tell me, Dad said unto me, cleaneth thy roometh, or however it goes. Well, that's great, honey. I'm glad it sounds wonderful. Actually, maybe not, but nonetheless, go ahead. Uh, But did you clean your room? Well, Dad, I'm going to get together with some friends at the coffee shop. We got together, we talked, and we studied the, the, the word clean in the Greek. And the Greek word for clean is scrub-a-dub-deo. And we found out that that means you're to clean with vigor and fortitude, Dad. Yeah, but, but did you clean your room? Well, Dad, I went to a conference. A big conference. There were thousands of people there. And we sang songs about how important it is to clean your room. And we raised our hands and we sang the song, closed our eyes, because that wasn't really meant it. And, and somebody got up and they gave us a sermon on how to clean our room more effectively. But did you clean your room? You see the point? Did I overdo it? Well, we do that, right? There's some pretty clear things we know God says to us. 
And sometimes we, I memorized it, God. I went, I, I went to a, a conference or I talked about it in a Sunday school class or a small group setting. And I think God's up in heaven. Did you do it? Did you just do it? Did you actually go do the thing that I told you to do? Did you do it? Go into all the world and make disciples. Learn all about that. I said, oh, there's only one main verb in that verse. And, and the rest are participles. Oh, that sounds good. That's a nice grammar lesson. But did you do it? Say, forgive each other as I have forgiven you. Okay, that's, that's good. Forgive. How, how did God forgive us? And we talked a lot about how God forgave us and the beauty of the cross and the beauty of, of Jesus' sacrifice. And we still hold a grudge. God goes, well, did you forgive the person? Just kind of how we substituted the appearance of doing things for actually doing the thing. Jesus says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. You'll stay connected to me, the true vine. And when you stay connected to me, I, and then you, and you and me, and you will bear much fruit. And your life will look fruitful. You will have those qualities that we looked at. You will help, how they will express themselves in your relationships, in your family, in your workplace, in your community. Wherever you find yourself, they will begin to express themselves because you're connected to the vine. And how can you stay connected to the vine? One way to remain in my love is to obey my commands. And then a few verses later, he adds something a little more. In verse 12, he says this. My command is this. What's God's command? We could go on and on and on and on about God's command. We could look at him. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about this. Well, I'm going I'm to simplify it for you because Jesus simplified it for us. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. You want to remain in my love? Obey my command. But here's my command. Love each other. Now, if he just stopped there, wouldn't it be so much easier? It would be so much easier if he just stopped with, like, love each other. Because then we can kind of make that up. We can make up what it looks like to love one another when we don't have an example to follow. But Jesus just wanted to make sure he was clear. In fact, elsewhere he says, A new command I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Why is it a new command? The Old Testament's full of that whole love one another, love your neighbor as yourself stuff. What, what, why is it a new command? Because Jesus says, I'm upping it a little bit. I'm telling you, don't just love each other in the ways you think that means. Love each other as I have loved you. What's the next verse say? Verse 13. No greater love has any man than this. And he laid down his life for a friend. Are you loving people that way? Husbands, what have you laid down for your wife and for your family this week? How have you laid your life down for them? By the way, I can use that one pretty good because there's that other verse in Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself for them. Husbands, is that how? How about just Christian? Forget husband because that's easy to pick on the husbands because we get picked on a lot. Hey, we're, we're believers in Jesus Christ. We live in a, a world that you may be aware is probably 80 plus percent 
unsaved, lost. Which means if Jesus were to return today, which, by the way, could happen. Have you looked at the news in the world lately? It's a crazy world we live in. I don't know if they were going to say anything. Some of our, our uh, worship team wore orange today. You know why they wore that? Maybe you don't know. Let me tell you why they wore it. Many Christians around the world, I think, are wearing these orange shirts in solidarity with those Christians who were martyred, killed, beheaded, who were in those orange jumpsuits. You probably saw the video a few weeks ago. It's one way to say we haven't forgotten that our brothers and sisters in Christ are dying and inspirationally and being reminded of their boldness and their courage in the face of incredible circumstance and persecution. We need to be reminded of that. And they literally laid down their lives for what they believed in, rather than renounce their Savior. What does it mean for you and I in a country that doesn't offer the threat of that? What does it mean for us to lay down our lives in a way, to love as Jesus loved our neighbor, our co-worker, our friend, particularly those who don't know him? What does it mean to demonstrate that kind of love for them. You know, I told you this happens, this passage happens in a context. And the first chapter of that context is John chapter 13, where it opens the account of the Passover, a celebration, the Last Supper of Jesus with his disciples. And uh, John chapter 13, verse 1, it tells us um, this. I don't remember if I put it up there. Hey, yeah, there it is. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And you know what happens almost immediately after that? Jesus takes off his robe and grabs a basin and a towel and goes around the room and washes his disciples' feet. Now, I don't think that was the only act that shows the full extent of his love. It's the first act that culminated in the amazing act of his willingly laying down his life on the cross to demonstrate that love that he has for all of us. But he started it with a very visible, practical, convicting picture of his kind of love. When the most important man in the room took on the most menial task, no one else was going to take on. In fact, Luke's account of, of the supper shows us that almost immediately after the Last Supper, the disciples start arguing in Luke chapter 9, I think it's about verse 24. Or excuse me, Luke, uh, I know that's not right. I think it's verse 24 or 22. Anyway, it's in there. They start arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom. After this Savior washes their feet, and after the betrayer is identified and leaves the room, and after this moment where he takes the bread and the cup and, and, and gives it such new significance, pointing to his own death, they're arguing about which one of us is going to be the greatest. Because this kid didn't get it. Because we don't get it. The only way we can get it is when we're connected to the vine. And when we stay connected to the vine... We remain in Him and He in us. We bear much fruit. But apart from Him, nothing. I think about those, those situations where you find yourself 
where it's hard to love somebody. You have somebody in your life that's hard to love? Like, I'm not talking about necessarily your spouse, whatever, maybe that's it. Maybe it's a co-worker. Christians, love is Jesus loved. could be anybody. You have anybody in your life that's hard to love? Like, you get up in the morning and you say, okay, Lord, today, because, you know, you told me to, I need to love this person. See, last week I used names and got in trouble. I said, this person, generic, this person. I'm going to love them today. And like the first five minutes you meet them, they do something that just totally ticks you off. Like maybe as soon as you walk in, hey, uh, where'd you get that shirt? It kind of clashes with your pants. I love you in Jesus' name. <laughs> oh, wow, you wore that today? No, it looks nice. No, really, it's nice. Or maybe you're, it's a co-worker and you come into the office and I say, oh, by the way, I, you know that project we're working on? I didn't have a chance to do my part and I, I'm going out of town uh, at noon, can you finish it up for me? <laughs> Hard to love. I just want you to think of it as something that drives you back to the vine. Because the temptation in that moment is, you know what, it's to disconnect from the vine. Isn't it? I'm just going to disconnect from the vine. I don't want to love them like Jesus loves you know what word we leave out of that sentence? Like Jesus loves me. Because you ever think Jesus wakes up in the morning and goes, you know, today I'm really going to try to love Charles. I'm going to try. I know, I know, Dad, you want me to love Charles. And I know I'm Jesus, so I'm supposed to do it. And as soon as he meets me in the morning, he's like, I can't believe it. No, Jesus is not like that. We don't think of him like that, right? We think of his love in a different way. And he says, love as I love. And so we have that moment where we're just, you know, you know, God, I know love, joy, peace, patience, all that stuff, connected to the vine, bear much fruit, whatever. What I'd really like to do is connect to that vine, because if I connect to that vine, I could punch him in the nose. That vine says it's okay to punch him in the nose. I like that vine better right now. And so it's just a moment where we say, okay, God, can't do this on my own. I can't try hard enough to love him. So I'm going to be driven back to the vine. Okay, God, how can I reconnect to the vine? How can I get back? Because I need you and me to give me the fruit that naturally doesn't come. But we can use those moments as the thing that drives us back to he who says, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. from Him, we can do nothing, but connected to Him, we bear much fruit. This morning, as you're aware, and as I've mentioned a couple times, pointed to a couple times, we have these elements, the bread and the cup. That was another one of those ways that Jesus was trying to drive home to His disciples the full extent of His love. This is my kind of love. Not only that that serves you by washing your feet, but that's willing to have my body broken and my blood shed for your salvation. And it's my prayer today that, that this act of taking the bread and taking the cup will drive us back to that connection we so desperately need to He who is the true vine. 
will drive us to Him and will remind us that apart from Him we can do nothing. And we've tried it on our own and we know where that goes and we know how that ends. And we just have to go back to Him. So I'm going to invite our deacons to come and and we're going to serve the supper today. And as we have these few moments, as the elements are passed, and as we have these, these moments to reflect on the words of Jesus, and not only on His words, but on His example, that we might allow these tangible things in our hands to remind us of the extent of the love of our God through Jesus and to drive us back to that connection we so desperately need.